Cunningham for another extraordinary message on Gill Athletics Connections. Well, welcome to the show. Uh. It's the goes to appreciate the coach, the ones who point people most. Every season needs a voice of reason, speaking the growth. You gotta prep for you carry the load. It's coffee to the soul for those of us who stay on the go. Proper handoff to stay in the zone. What you packing for the road? There's more than one way to the go. Take notes, that's paying your toll. It ain't practice if your purpose ain't clear. It can't happen till you listen with both ears. You can't mentor without a mentor's years of experience. You can reinvent those years. Every plan's got a stand to deliver up to. Enterprise sacrifice, can you give up you? It's a choice and a fight. Not a win or lose It's not a ploy but advice so y'all can make more moves It's not about how to, it's all about why You don't know till you know who you are inside Six million ways to tie Choose none so we all cross the finish line The work ain't done So we learn from the experts We all gotta put in the legwork Gill Athletics is a network It's all about connections Put together for the profession To every track coach could be the blessing We're back. Here we are, the Gill Athletics Connections podcast, and you're here, you're back. That's awesome. That's all we can ever ask for. And you pressed play on today's episode, and I'm super excited. This is one of those, you've, you've heard me, if you've heard more than one episode, uh, I get kind of, I don't know what I get more excited for, but I get really excited when we have a guest on here that I don't actually know all that well. I know today's guest, we've had interactions back and forth through different things, but I don't know him. So I'm really excited to dig into that and get to know him and share his journey with you. So without further ado, help me welcome the head coach from VCU, Virginia Commonwealth University. It's always helpful when they put the name of the state in the school. Thank you so much for that. The Rams, help me welcome the wise, the wonderful Mr. John Riley. John, how are you today, sir? I'm well, and, and thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. I'm excited about this. Like I said, you know, you and I have had some emails back and forth and a little bit of work here and there, uh, but, you know, we don't know each other. So I just, you know, to me, it's a blank slate. I get to just ask questions and shut up and listen. <laughs> let's, let's go for it. I love it. I love it. Let's go for it. I love it. That's right. Well, let's start, John. You know, I kind of start each episode off kind of with the same basic principle question. Somewhere along the way, coaching had to switch for you. It had to go from something that was, assuming that you were an athlete, something that was done to you, John, go run this, go throw that, things like that, to where it actually was like, oh, wait a minute. Like maybe I could, like this could actually be a career for me possibly. Where, where does it start for you? Where does coaching begin for you? Well, um, after uh, uh, play a little bit of Canadian football for the Calgary Stampeders in 97 and got hurt. Returned back to my alma mater, Southeast Missouri State. Couldn't finish up my last year of track and field. Um, so I just sat there and, and, and watched teams run and talk trash. And I couldn't do anything because I got hurt in Canada, came back to finish up. Um, then I got a job at WWL-TV in New Orleans working in uh, – news channel, channel four, um, worked there for a little bit. Um, then for some reason I got tired of wearing a shirt and tie after maybe, I think three years. Um, <laughs> That's a common coach <laughs> theme right there. It's like, I got into coaching, so I didn't have to wear a tie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, I would leave work early, go to my high school, uh, former high school and help out. 
Um, and one day my coach just said, man, you're here so much. Why, we have a position available uh, on the football staff. How about you come on out and, and, and coach? Um, you seem to be passionate about it. And I gave it some thought, um, took the shirt and tie, put it on the side. And I uh, started coaching at St. Augustine High School uh, in New Orleans, Louisiana, um, coach football and track and field. So that's, first of all, St. Augustine in New Orleans, big football program, if I remember. Like, I, I kind of know that name as a high school yeah. for sports. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're from that area. You went to SEMO. Did you do football and track at SEMO? I did, I did football and track at SEMO. So I was on football scholarship, and a track coach learned about me uh, through, I, I can't remember, but I got a phone call as soon as I was on got to campus, and he said, you're running track, right? <laughs> I said, let me talk to my coaches to make sure that's okay. And uh, Joey Haynes, uh, he just passed away a few weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and that's my guy. He uh, allowed me, you know, I was able to do both. He really, really uh, fought hard to get the football coaches to allow me to run track. Joey did what we call in the sales side of life, assumptive selling, like not, Hey, do you want to run track? It's like, Oh, you're running track, right? Like yeah. <laughs> I'm just yeah. assuming you, the answer is yes. And you're coming out. Uh, yes, take a step back. You went to St. Augustine again, a great uh, athletic um, uh, tradition there. What was your experience with your coaches there? You're obviously, I shouldn't say, obviously it appears you were more football before track, uh, but on the track side, what was the experience like as far as your coaches? Were they, um, you know, involved in, in like um, learning how to coach the event? Were they, you know, my experience was my, my football coaches were my track coaches. So track practice was kind of an extension of football practice. Uh, yes. How was that experience for you? It was a really good experience. Uh, my uh, track and field coach, uh, Coach Payne, Tyrone Payne, uh, he was our defensive back coach and he, Every athlete on the football team had to run track. Oh, nice. um, <laughs> it wasn't an option. So um, we had a pretty good track program as well. And uh, Coach Payne did a really good job of going to all the Louisiana uh, track and field high school symposiums and um, developed a method for us. And and uh, I wasn't a sprinter. Um, I hated running. So uh, I met a guy training at can't remember his name and I started doing long jump so that was my niche I, I, I didn't want to run those 600s that he killed us with and I found a way to uh do my part and I did long jump and then we found a hurdle coach and he stuck me on the hurdles so um Tyrone Payne was probably the most influential coach um that I've been with and he was the one to bring me back to coach football once he got the head football position at at St. Augustine High School. What was it as you think back, you know, it's it's always interesting to me. Sometimes it's hard to see it in the moment when you're a 14, 15, 16-year-old kid and, you know, you, you get all the grace in the world. You're a kid, we're 16 years old. We have no idea what we're doing, right? But now as an adult, you can look back and remember the things that coach did coach Payne did for you the the way he talked to you maybe some of the the language that he used maybe the the hand on your back when you needed it as you look back now I mean those, those are big words that you just said there the the most influential and you've had some I mean you already talked about coach Haynes you've already you've had some influential coaches what was it about coach Payne that 
now you look back and go, oh, that was the most influential coach in my life. Yeah, that guy would run through a wall. <laughs> Literally, he was just the guy who commanded the room. Um, when he got up before football games or track meets and he did his speech, you were ready to go out there and play. Mm. You would put it all on the line. And matter of fact, you can ask any athlete that I competed with or played football with that attended St. Augustine. Coach Payne was that guy who knew how to press those buttons, the speeches, the it wasn't more about the X's and O's. He was really good at that, but he made, he was, he gave those speeches that allowed you to kind of think about what you wanted to do and, and go out there and do everything full speed. Um, and, and that, and, and my coaching style is a little bit like that. Hmm. So I, I, I try my best to give those speeches <laughs> and, and get these kids to run through walls for me and, 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 do whatever they need to do. If it's two or three events, I can convince them to do it when it counts. Um, and that's the biggest take I, I got from Coach Payne. Um, and it was very influential. So um, they called me a really tough coach. Uh, so, you know, and I, and I tell my recruits the same thing. Hey, if you can run, you know, I'm going to tell you who I am. I'm going to tell you what I'm about. Um, and if that sounds like someone that you can deal with, let's go. You're part of this team. You don't have to worry about anything because, you know, we demand certain things. And that what Coach Payne uh, gave to me. Sounds like he was that uh, stereotypical motivator. Like, yes. you, you know, there's a, you, you talked about he knew the X's and O's, but his strength was in he, he I, I feel like he runs will run through a wall and therefore I will run like I will follow him through that wall. Yes. Yes. That's awesome. Man. I love that. Yeah, that guy. It's yeah. interesting, you know, after you interview, I, I'm probably the, maybe the foremost expert on track and field coaches now because I've interviewed 200 plus of them. Uh, and, and in each one of those stories, we have a, a coach pain typically, uh, but but they're always a little different, right? So some are the, uh, the coaches, you know, the, 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 the guest will say, you know, they knew how to coach distance better than anybody had ever seen better than my college coach, you know, all these things, others, but the ones that stick out the most are always those, uh, those wall, those wall breakers, the ones that will just, you know, maybe I'll wear a helmet, but I'm going head first into that wall. Uh, and, and, you know, you're going to come with me. And, and by the way, I believe that you can do it. And that's why you're going to come with me. Correct. That's awesome, man. So you go to SEMO, uh, play football and run track there. What did you, I'm always curious because there's no, we don't go to college and major in coaching track and field. Uh, and spoiler alert, we have all track and field coaches here. So we know what they ended up being for a career. What was the idea as an 18 year old kid, which still boggles me that we, you know, ask 18 year old kids to pick the rest of their life at 18 years old. But at 18, you're going to SEMO, you were going to go study I studied communications. Yeah. Um, you know, that was one one day um, uh, I was with my mom and watching The Young and the Restless. And I, I'm sorry. <laughs> and, and I saw a guy on there named Neil. I can't remember his real name, but I believe he passed. And he was, the uh, at that time, one of the only African-American males that I saw running a company at the time I'm not quite sure what happened to Victor and I learned all these through watching but you know I was like what does he do and he was a marketing advertising ex an executive um 
So coming from New Orleans, I mean, you know, I, I love my parents and, you know, they work really hard, but I, I didn't see very many um, African-American males on TV um, running a business or doing something like that. So that kind of stuck in my head. And, and I went to Southeast Missouri State, pretty good journalism school. And I just decided marketing and, and advertising. Um, and that route I took and, and that's what I wanted to do. That is fascinating, John, uh, because it deals with something very serious, uh, representation, yeah. and then it deals with something very unserious, daytime soaps. <laughs> uh, but, but I'm curious, it, it's interesting because you talk about representation, you, you see somebody that looks like you doing something for the first time and it kind of, you know. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but there's a little bit of like, oh, well, wait a minute. Well, well, then maybe I can do this as well. Um, but but it was in the scope of a TV show. So meaning like, you know, we can make anything, we can make aliens, you know, or whatever we want, cartoons, et cetera, on TV shows. But it it see it sounds like it, it was impactful to you uh, even seeing it on a daytime soap opera. It was, it was. And I believe I was sick, if I'm not mistaken. So I had to stay home from school. Um, but I did go to practice. So I had to go home from school. The soaps were in the morning and I just happened to see that. And that was very impactful, you know? Um, and I just, just, what does he do? And I watched it long enough to understand that it was advertising that he worked for. I didn't know at the time, but he worked for Victor Newman. <laughs> so, um, but again, that that was very impactful. So I, I, I thought about it a minute. And by the time I graduated high school, I knew exactly what I wanted to do um, when I went to college. Wow, that, that's fascinating. You know, it, it again, we have something today that we didn't have back then. We have perspective. And sometimes when we're in the in the mix, we're watching a show, we're playing a game, we're talking to a friend. We don't think of maybe how impactful that can be in the moment, but then when we're able to look back, I mean, you know, you, you probably were, you know, okay, I was sick. I'm home from school. I'm watching soap operas. I don't know if you did or did not like soap operas. I did not. I remember my mom watching. Okay, good. That's, I was, I didn't want to judge. So I'm, I'm glad you shook your head. No, not really big a soap opera fan. Uh, so you're probably, you know, a little bit like, Oh man, I can't believe I got to sit here and watch that. I'd rather be watching cartoons or something, but because of that, what an impact it made on you. And then it influences what you major in in college and then what you do as a, as a first career. That, that to me is, there's, there's like a lesson there for like today's 16, 17, 22 year old kids of like, man, everything has influence one way or the other. And some of those that you think are very small are going to end up being very big influences. That just give me a little perspective. I've had a few athletes on the team that, wanted to do journalism, be sports reporters, be, and I, you know, the background and just giving them a little bit of information. One guy, yeah, when I gra graduate, I'm getting my first job. I'm going to make all this money. I'm like, uh, pump your brakes here. Uh, you have to start from the bottom, maybe in the 223rd market, doing everything on your own before you climb up the ladder. So just some perspective I was able to give some of the uh, yeah. athletes and, and just in general, just the background of just having a wide range of, of experiences with marketing, with dealing with people. It, it kind of helped me, you know, communicate and, and, and give good advice to my student athletes. I love it. That, that, that is so important. I, I mean, because 
99% of your athletes, I, I usually say 99% of your athletes are not going to go on to be professional track athletes. And that's the truth. In this case, 99% of them, uh, maybe a little less, we'll say 95 are not going to go on to be track coaches, but they're going to go on to be uh, advertising executives, business owners, teachers, etc. So to have uh, a different experience level from their coach that like that's really valuable for them yeah i i would hope i hope so <laughs> you know <laughs> i think that's you know a, a good dynamic that you know not everyone has but huh. i'm not sure how many people went into the business uh you know and and you know in the business or uh whatever world then back to coaching so right. Uh, hopefully that experience that I learned dealing with money and how to balance budgets and all that stuff before coming back to coaching. That's my favorite thing about our guest here. Uh, you know, we all ended up as coach and track, but we all took a different path. You know, we've had some do the, I don't even know that if there is this, the uh, average or the most common, like, you know, you'd like to think, I guess, uh, you know, an athlete who then becomes a graduate assistant and then becomes a, a, a assistant coach and then works their way through whatever. But I mean, there's lots of coaches like yourself who went into private sector and then came back into coaching others. Yeah. We had one, I can't remember after 200, you do forget every, every <laughs> specific person's story. Uh, one went into um, uh, a graphic design and then was like, you know, I missed track and came back. You know, there's just so many different ways to get where we are today. So I love that story from you, man. That's, that's awesome. So you go to SEMO, you're studying communications. I love that. I was a print journalism, public relations major. So in the same vein, uh, at, okay. at the top journalism school in the country, Troy university, uh, you know, I have to, oh, always, okay. yeah, yeah. I always have to brag on my, not, my not Texas, not Mizzou, but Troy. Thank you for agreeing with me, John. I appreciate that. Hey. Uh, <laughs> and and you said you, you alluded earlier, we're going to get into this because this is cool. You played in the Canadian Football League. Uh, so obviously you had some success with football. You don't go to the next level without having some success there. At any time while you're in SEMO, though, is coaching at all in your mind or is it all like, oh, I'm going to get my degree? And and maybe you had uh, aspirations of making it to the NFL. If you make it to the CFL, I think you have to you at least are getting some tryout, you know, some work and stuff like that. But is coaching at all like, oh, yeah, I, I might also coach. Never thought about coaching, <laughs> never, never crossed my mind at all. Yeah. I just thought I was going to be a professional football player. And if that didn't work out, journalism, marketing, whichever communication path that I was going to take. Yeah. And that's so interesting. I love that. So uh, tell me more about football because uh, yeah, I went to the greatest university in the world, Troy, and we had some guys that went on to <laughs> the, the Canadian Football League and the NFL. And I know just how hard that is i mean we had some like i thought we had some phenomenal athletes and they didn't make the nfl i mean that's just a, a whole yeah, it's, it's much like uh, going pro and track right i mean there's some phenomenal track athletes that you just have no shot at the next level it's just a it's a it's a chasm that is a mile wide what was that experience like doing tryouts and then going and playing up in canada yeah that was tough i mean you get up there and you have three days to prepare uh, maybe, uh, you know, prepare practice and, and prepare and you have a game within five days of being there. <laughs> so you have to learn a lot. They only, at that time, they only kept 15 Americans. So. Oh, um, interesting. 
yeah, I, I made the cut. I had a teammate, Calvin Anderson. I played for the uh, Calgary Stampeders in 97. Mm -hmm. um, so Calvin Anderson, he was on my team at SEMO, and he was one of the, a, a really good running back in, in college and in, in Canada. Um, and at that time, I believe one team had folded. I can't remember. Uh, nope, not definitely not Montreal. But and then uh, I think I was there for a couple of a uh, couple of weeks. Then uh, I believe they had a, a draft within the Canadian league because one team folded, and a small injury pulled my groin. Um, sat on the side for a week and then was replaced immediately because you only can have a certain amount of Americans there. So it was a short stint, but I learned a lot. Um, got a chance to play a lot. Um, and the experience was, was great, but I, I, I don't like Canadian football as much as I like yeah. regular football because you, you didn't have much time to adjust and learn. Um, but the experience was great. There, there's some subtle differences, right. Between CFL and NFL, like yes, the, yes. the field, the field is wider. Field is wider. You play with more players and you have what's called the waggle you have an opportunity as a receiver to move side to side on the line. And you have an opportunity to also from the backfield sprint towards the DB. So it yeah. Run towards the line. Yeah. Yeah. That, that has to be murder for a DB, by the way. It is. It is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then what uh, you said, more players, do they have more than 11 on the field? I believe, yeah, they have 12 players, I believe. Uh, I can't, it's been, what, 97? So yeah, it's been a little bit. Yeah, I yeah. really don't follow Canadian football. Sure, sure. So. I'll, I'll give you grace for that. No problem. Yeah, yeah. And then isn't there, do you have one more down or one less down? You have three downs. Three downs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. At the time, the last person, let's say it's a fumble uh, and the ball gets knocked out of bounds, if my memory is correct, whoever knocks it out of bounds take possession. So a lot of those things could have changed by now, but I believe that's 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 right. I don't follow Canadian football anymore, but um, it was a really good experience. That's um, that's kind of a cool rule. If I hear you right, so if someone fumbles, and if I go, if I'm the DB, and I just all I can do is just dive to knock it out of bounds, so I don't have possession of it. It's my team's ball, though. Even though I, didn't I, have I believe possession. so, I believe wow. so. I didn't stay that long, so that's what I you know remember from maybe you know a couple of games that yeah. I played. That, that um, feels like a WWE and NFL together yeah. for some reason. I don't know why. It just feels like there's some wrestling component to that. <laughs> yeah, and if my memory is correct, there's no fair catch either. That could have uh, changed. Now, yeah, so. I would say that might have changed because, you know, there's definitely been changing in the NFL as far as how yeah. much more towards the, the fair catch for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, well, well, you get hurt, and that is like the um, the death knoll for football players, especially ones that are trying to make the team. There's just – it's um, – I hate to say it's a doggy dog, dog world and, you know, you're dispensable, but man, there are so many great athletes and so many great athletes trying that if you are injured, it's, it's out and the next one's in. So uh, completely understand that you come back to the States and you go to back home, go back home for a while. And then I get, go back to SEMO uh, to finish up. Okay. Oh, that's to, right. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I still had a year of eligibility for track and field, right. but I couldn't do anything. I just yeah. sat on the side and <laughs> I couldn't give them those 10 points in the long jump, 10 points in the triple jump like I did prior to. Uh, that had to kill. That had to kill Coach Haynes. It's like, it, man, there's 20 plus points sitting right there. 
And 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 at the time, Middle Tennessee was in our conference, and they had mm. some jumpers, and and uh, the Middle Tennessee guy was injured as well. So we're sitting there watching these guys. Eastern Illinois had just came into the conference, and they were talking trash, and we couldn't do anything about it, but we'll just watch. So, <laughs> but you know, again, you know, I gave it gave it a shot, tried to give him you know everything I had in order to help him win another championship, but. Uh, I couldn't just yeah. try to get it done, but um, I ran down the runway a couple of times, but I, I couldn't do anything. And he yeah. just, you know what? I know you want to just, just rest up and sit on the side. <laughs> did you, what, did, what advantage did you take of during that time? Did you observe more of how coach Haynes and the rest of the coaching staff coached, or were you more focused on, you, you had to finish out your degree. Were you more fo focused yeah. on that? Um, kind of a combination of both. You know, I was more frustrated than ever, anything that I couldn't finish up in, in Canada. And sure. now I'm back, uh, you know, finishing up, but I'm glad I had an opportunity and, and, uh, the ability to be able to come back and be on track and field scholarship this time. Mm. Um, because I don't know how I would, I would have been able to afford college. I didn't plan on, uh, all that. So coach right. Haynes was a blessing to me. He, he allowed me to come back and finish up and, and, you know, it just, it all worked out. And I love that you mentioned coach Haynes, you know, we, we lost him recently and um, you know, it's one of those guys that I don't know that he got the due that he deserved because he was at a SEMO. I mean, you, you know, I coached at Troy, so, you know, you know, we had battles with SEMO and both football and track. And, you know, it was always in our minds, the famous SEMO relays. Uh, I mean, just real, you know, a, a small team that always had fighters that always had problem people in the jumps. Like, man, you knew you, you're going to have some people like you coming down, like, oh crap, this guy's good. We got to make sure we can, you know, do something against him. Just always had tough, tough, tough competitors. And I think that started from the top with coach Haynes. It did. He he did a really good job of getting the right people um, on the team. And I didn't know anything about that at that point mm -hmm. in, until I read good to great, but he had the right people on the bus and it was yeah. able to get a group of guys together because I think they, they did really well division two. So my freshman year, I think that was the first year that they became a division one program. So very successful division two program. Um, and maybe the first, or maybe that was my, maybe that was the second year, my freshman year that they were in division one, but I do know that he had a really good team, a couple of really good teams, division two. Um, and they were really good. So we came into a situation where he had been successful and he, I contribute, you know, he taught me how to win, um, on this level. He taught me how to win and I, and I took that with me. Give me an example of that. When you say he taught you how to win, what was something that he did that you observed that now you can look back and be like, Oh, okay. That's how you create a winning program. Well, definitely he stacked Coach Eric up and Crumpecker's doing a really good job at SEMO now with all the good throwers. Didn't, you know, gave him every opportunity. He was a GA when I was there, Coach mm. Crumpecker. Um, but definitely put numbers in the throws. We had depth in the jumps and the sprints. And, and we had some distance guys that can get some points here and there. But the same strategy is, is what I have now, you know, definitely speed, power, 
jump throws that we have plenty of opportunities to score points in the throws and the jumps. And we got to have a mixture of good sprints, good distance, and just a combination of all. Yeah. And so, a, so a team aspect, not just, okay, we're going to have the greatest sprinters and hurdlers. We're going to have, we're going to have as good a distance crew as we can have a good as throws crew, jumps yes. crew, et cetera. So well-rounded. Um, and, and, and that's what I learned. I kind of paid attention to everything that went on. Um, and we were happy when the throwers had success, you know, and I'm like, well, you know, we're the first ones to go off, you know, throw is going to go at probably 8 a.m. Then the jumps right behind. <laughs> so we're going to set the tone early yeah. and, and handle business so that when the sprinters and distance folks come to the track, we're already up by 30 points. All so right, right. that was the mindset. And and Coach Haynes, you know, is is definitely the person who showed me the way to do it. I love it. That's great. It's a great legacy. You're continuing on with him again, just what a, uh, a, a, a great coach, no doubt, but an even better person. So oh, yeah. uh, yes. just love, love him to death. Uh, after that. So you finish out your degree in what was your actual degree? Was it advertising? Yes. Communication with emphasis in advertising. So uh, did that um, was able to go back to new Orleans and get a job at WWL TV where I worked in marketing from uh 98 to 2001. So what's it like? You know, ev almost everybody listening right now has not worked at a TV station in any form or fashion. We've all watched them, uh, but yeah. probably have not worked at what's it like working for a TV station uh, under, you know, they've got deadlines for their news crew, things like that. What, what's and what was your role in all that? My role when I first thought it was a production assistant. So I had to learn lighting. I had to learn oh. how to mic. I had to learn sound. I had to learn almost everything to deal with news, um, the production side of it. So after about six months, then I got position uh, as a floor director. So I directed the news and not the news director, but as a floor director, you know, made sure the talent had knew which camera to turn to and made sure the mics were on, made sure the uh, weather guy stood in the right spot and all that stuff. And the lighting was good. So I had a really good experience learning a lot about the news industry. And eventually I, I moved up to marketing and advertising after learning all that stuff. So, um, you know, uh, a really good friend of mine, Todd Smith, who is now the current general manager of that station, it went to St. Augustine High School. So that's the first person I reached out to. And cool. he's like, you know, I know you play football and you did all this, but uh, if you're going to do this right, you have to start from the bottom and work your way up. So that's exactly what I did. And, and it's it worked with some amazing talent at the news station. A lot of them went on to uh, national news and, and did some good things. So um, great experience. Were, were you the guy that got to count them in, you know, four, three? Yes. Oh, that's come on. That's yeah. outside being, I guess, the anchor, man. That's, that's a pretty cool job, man. Like it all yeah, controls yeah. on you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, and, and speaking of Anchorman, so how much of the movie Anchorman is actually true in the news studio? Well, you know, they don't have bourbon on the, on the <laughs> desk. So, um, but I'm sure when it's stressful, because we had lots of, you know, stories about, you know, we did lots of hurricane courage. Coverage. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, a lot of people was able to pack up and leave the city. I had to stay there and and I'm sure they were stressed out at that point and had some bourbon somewhere. <laughs> sure. Deservedly so. But 
Um, it's a 24 seven type of deal. You have to be prepared for it. And, you know, you're not going to start off making a ton of money and you just have to deal with it and, and get the experience and, uh, kind of move up the way any profession some, you know, does, um, um, but again, great experience with that. And um, but like I told you earlier, I took, you know, when I became the advertising marketing guy, uh, wearing a shirt and tie, because as a production assistant, you're in T-shirt, you're sweating, you're doing everything. Then I got an opportunity to work uh, in marketing where I had to wear a shirt and tie. I, I didn't enjoy that as much. It, it <laughs> gets old. It gets old quick, doesn't it? Like the first time you wear it, it's like, all right, it's a little uncomfortable, but oh yeah, I look nice. After yeah. a month, you're like, all right, seriously, another, I have to do this again, another tie, another shirt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm out there in the field, you know, going business to business and it's oh yeah. 70 in New Orleans and it's hot. So humid. Yeah. Humid, whatever, you know, and, and took a lot of time off to go. Uh, and I'm, if Todd ever sees this, he's going to be like, that's <laughs> but took a lot of time off and and went to my high school and practice helping out as much as I could. Right. Um, and that's when it all started. So you're going back, helping the high school. Love that. Giving back. I mean, you know, I know you had to look at some of these 16, 17 year old kids and be like, man, that was me right there. That kid right there. That was me. I was this goofball. I was, I didn't know how much talent I actually had and you know, all these things. Right. Uh, so you said that's where it all began. So tell me, how did it develop from something like, oh, I want to help because, you know, it's a skill I have and I love athletics to like, oh, no, no, this is actually like, I don't know what I'm doing up here in the shirt and tie. I actually yeah. want to be on this track. You know, what really helped was, and it's sad to say this, but when 9-11 occurred, um, all the national news were broadcast through local stations so there was no advertising dollars for me to make because it was all national news interesting um, it was just it was a crazy moment because everything had to do with 9-11 and it was at that moment um where my coach called me up and, was, and and had no idea what my situation was um but I had signed a contract with the news station to be there for three years. And I was able to get out of it because of that situation. And I told my guys like, Hey man, I'm gonna go St. Aug. They need me over there. And, um, and he was okay with it. And, and from September after September 11th season was right there and I hopped in and, and, and that's how it went. Wow. Yeah. Again, another event that, you know, affected all of us, of course, but indirectly affect, like you weren't there and maybe hopefully you didn't have any family members, things there, but it did affect you professionally. It's like, man, you, you know, your, your resources all dried up because of, of what yeah. happened. Yeah. It, it was, you know, I didn't know at the time cause I was still new, uh, doing everything and and didn't realize how it would impact our paychecks. You know, I'm still the young guy that had to go out there and, and create business. And, 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 you know, it wasn't an old established guy who had all the regional and, and national accounts. I had to get all the local accounts. So, uh, you know, it taught me a lot. So, you know, I had to persevere through that. So you go back over to St. Ogg's, you're coaching football and track. Yes, football and track. 
describe the difference in your, and maybe it was none, maybe you just attack everything with the same vigor and professionalism, but was there any, again, looking back, did you notice that were you happier? Was there an extra bounce in your step because now you're working in athletics versus working in the private sector? Yeah, it was a little bounce in the step because now I'm back in football. Mm. Had an opportunity to work with some really good athletes. Um, it, you know, St. Aug is an all-boy school, all-boy private school. And, you know, it. we we definitely had the student athletes there. So it was really good opportunity. I had one of the premier receivers coming out of high school that I was able to coach um, and Akeem Jala ended up going to Miami, but um, definitely was a 20-point guy on the track, um, 47 high, 400-meter guy, and can just fly and run good routes. So had some really good guys that I worked with, and and that was a great experience. So that got my juices flowing. Um, and we just, from that point, Coach Payne, my guy from early, he was an assistant coach when I was uh, an athlete, um, he was the guy who really influenced me to really come back and coach and, 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 and do my thing. Did, did you, you know, in Alabama, I don't know how we say this in Louisiana, but in Alabama, we say like a duck to water. You'd been off of athletics for a little while, you know, you hadn't, and you definitely certainly hadn't coached. Did you, as you step back on uh, specifically here in the football field, being the first sport that you came back to coach in, um, did, did he like to duck to water was like, oh yeah, okay. I understand. I remember all the routes. I remember coach Payne, what he requires, or was there a little bit of an adjustment period? No adjustment. I mean, wow. the way we treat those guys, I mean, they have to know all the coverages. So my thing, I had to get in there and teach the receivers what was covered two, what was two man, what was covered three, cover four, all those things. And, you know, that was my part. And, and it's everything from college was still in my head. So, um, and nothing changed from high school. So all the coverage is still the same, right. you know, might try to disguise some things a little different, but it all works out. Yeah. So you know, that it was just like, it was refreshing just to get back and draw those things up and, and help out as much as I could. I'm sure this happens in other sports like basketball and baseball, but my only experiences are with football and track myself. When you do like in football, when you're in a, sp a specific position or in track, when you're in a specific event and it's 20 years down the line, so you're not doing those events anymore or those positions when you're watching it on TV, when you're watching it in person, you look for little cues, little things that you did or little things that you wish you did or little things that, you know, the great ones did. So, so I got, I was an offensive lineman. So when I watch football, I watch it very differently than probably how you watch it. I watch the offensive line. Like I know when it's a run versus a pass without even looking at the quarterback and I'm watching the right guard and what they're doing, things like that. Do you catch yourself doing that today with NFL? Cause you're talking oh. about, I, I know cover two and cover four. I, I know those terms, but I was not a receiver or a DB. So I never, I don't even know what they mean. I know there's some coverage. You're actually looking at like, you you know, how far off the DB is from the receiver and where the safety, I have no idea, actually. You're, yeah. you're watching all that, though, right? Yes, for the most part. Try not to be too into that part. I just yeah. try to enjoy the game. But sometimes I can look and see, hey, the, the, the tight end is lined up here, the receiver is off the ball, and this guy is – yeah, you know, you kind of look at it, and, yeah. and especially if you have a friend of yours who think he knows football and try to figure it out, <laughs> you can kind of – Hey man, that's not cover three. That's uh, <laughs> the case may be, you know, man free or something, you know. So I, 
I remember in fifth grade, I, was, I lived up in Indiana for one year in fifth grade, and I knew nothing about football, but we would play, you know, uh, I call it backyard football, you know, in the, in the, um, but at the school. Right. And I, back then, this is how dumb, you're going to laugh at this, John, it's how dumb I was. People would yell out what the down and distance to first down was, but I had no clue what that meant. You know, so they'd be like, you know, second and eight. And I'd be like, and I, and I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be involved. Like I wanted to be one of the kids, you know, I remember yelling out like third and 25. And they, everyone's like, what the, are you talking about? And I was like, no, no, not, it's not third and 25. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> but hey, you got to fake it until you make it, right? Yeah, yeah. So. I, I faked it and, and flunked it. <laughs> I should have just shut up and be like, hey, hey, I should have asked just like a friend one day, be like, hey, Johnny, so what does that mean? Don't tell anybody, but what does that mean? <laughs> Can't be afraid to ask questions. You know? Yeah, well, that's okay. As a fifth grader, I was definitely afraid of, yeah, you know, yeah. looking dumb in front of my peers. Absolutely. See, now I just record all my dumbness and tell everybody I don't care anymore. <laughs> it's an experience with everything. And, and same with track, like, you know, I was a, a sprint jumps and hurdles coach back in the day. And so for like jumps, I can't help I, it's just a, it's a natural like i if i tried not to do it i don't think i could when a long jumper or a triple jumper comes down or, or a high jumper i automatically count their steps you know the every other so like for the high jumper it's like all right step one step two step you know all the step four five you know i just can't i haven't coached long jumpers in i mean it's getting close-ish to 20 years now and oh. i still can't watch them without counting their steps yeah i can't you know same, you know, well, my athletes, I make sure that they're sure. on the right, correct course, step. Of course. Uh, I, I try not to get, you know, get that crazy over the step part, but uh, definitely, excuse me. I'm always looking at steps and, and yeah. just making sure even with pole vault, you know, I learned how to pole vault before I started coaching at SEMO and, you know, I definitely count those steps. Those yeah. are the most important because <laughs> that's the only way I knew how to take off. Right. All right. Well, let's keep advancing. So you're at St. Augs, you're coaching. Uh, I dare say the coaching bug has bitten. Like you're like, this is now a transformation. Like, Oh, okay. This is what I want to do. And, and if that's true, was it, I want to be a high school coach. I want to be a college coach or I don't even know, I but I want to coach. I just wanted to coach. Um, and wh wherever that took me, I didn't have a plan at the time. And one day sitting down at the end of the season, I think Coach Haynes had a bad season, um, but had a good recruiting class coming in. Um, and I got a phone call. I was like, who's calling me from Cape Girardeau? Because I don't know. I, I don't I didn't delete his number, but I probably at the time went through several phones. But he was able to get in touch with me and said, hey, I got a graduate assistant spot here. If you want to take it, it's all yours. And I thought really hard about it. Going back to Cape Girardeau, Missouri, airport two hours away. There's, I had, I mean, returned to New Orleans, purchased house and everything. Oh, yeah. Settled down and, and thought long and hard about it and he was like you need you have to let me know august is coming up i need to know and i got this football season coming up with some really good athletes and thought long and hard and said coach i'm coming sold my house packed up 
went to Cape Girardeau. Now, now you're not a typical GA, meaning you're not 21, 22, even 23 years old at this point. Oh, <laughs> yeah, wow. I was about 25 maybe. Yeah, what, what a change. I mean, you're you're a, a career person. You've got a career in the uh, marketing and advertising venue, and then you go on to coach high school. But you like you're you're on a path, and yeah. a GA path is a much different path. What, what did you go back to end up studying? Uh, it was a major in higher education, athletic administration. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, Very smart. I could see yeah, that. My, yeah. Like since I'm on a college level and I had several talks with some of my colleagues who was thinking about making that move to coaching in college. And, and those guys went the football route and now I'm looking at them. We got one guy at Florida coaching, uh, running backs and receivers, uh, another guy at LSU coaching running backs and, it's like, well, I, I love what I do. I love track and field. I've been in the same spot for like 15 years. You guys have moved around, but I'm sure you're making tons of money. So <laughs> I, I was going to ask you about that because I, so how I got into coaching track. So I played football and ran track. I one day, uh, so I went to college after a year. I was not happy. I wanted to leave, but I, I wanted to do something back in sports. You know, I, I really, you know, that was my passion. That's what drew me back in with sports, right? And outside of our fraternity house, literally right outside the window was the football field of a high school. And instead of calling the football coach to see if he needed help, I called the track coach. And that set me on my path to, you know, go all the way up to the SEC. And every awesome. once in a while, I think, hmm, I wonder if I'd have called the football coach where... <laughs> I could be Where like a, that? I could be yeah. like a not very good offensive coordinator in the Pac-12, and uh, I'll be making a lot of, a lot of money. Like, like to your point, not just like more money. Those guys and gals are getting paid a lot more money than us. I don't necessarily agree with it. Don't necessarily disagree because there are some economic differences. But overall, I still think our track coaches should be making a lot more money than they make today. But I do every once in a while wonder, it's like, man, if I'd have just, just you know, asked for a different extension, just talk to the football coach. What would that look like? I don't know. I don't yeah. Know. So I love that good. you brought that up. I love it. So now you go back to you go you go back to second home. You know, home is, is New Orleans. Second home, Cape Girardeau. They're at Southeast Missouri uh, University. Uh, was it still Southeast Missouri State? What was the name? Yeah, South, Southeast Missouri State. There we go. Yeah. Okay. That's oh, right. Yeah. So you're coaching. You're obviously taking grad classes. Is it set now? Is there like no stopping you? You're going to be a coach or is there still like, no, I could still, I can do this two years and I can go back to a new station. No stopping, no stopping. It's um, full go. It's full go. After my first year, um, I said, you know what? Let me, I only have a year left to find a job. Um, you know, cause coach Haynes, he didn't have a third coach. He would just get GAs to fill that spot. Um, who was on that staff with me, uh, Coach Hines, um, just recently at Louisville. Um, mm -hmm. Eric, Eric Hines, yeah. Um, that's right. I forgot he was at CMO. Yeah, that's right. Beth was at CMO as well because Coach Haynes would talk about all his assistant coaches are now head coaches, and I think Beth was at Penn State. Yeah. Here now. So, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, you're a head coach. At, well, next time you see Beth, uh, tell her Coach Haynes say he's proud of all of us. So, oh <laughs> man, yeah, somewhere in Arizona, I believe, and and you know, so so Co but, Coach uh, Coach Hines is now the distance coach at Indiana University, and uh, we just had 
the new head coach of Indiana, Ed Bathia, on the podcast. And then Beth uh, is also a Gill podcast alum now at University of Connecticut. So yeah, boy, that's, and I, you know, no shock that Coach Haynes has a, a, um, a coaching tree like that. No, no shock at all. Exactly. That's awesome. I love that. So, but yeah, good, you know, second year, I would take my resume everywhere I went. I mean, like to track meets. Track meets. I had my backpack. I had my resume in there and um, had a really good group of jumpers. So, you know, we were doing a good job and and, and had some decent hurdlers. Um, so I just kept my resume with me. And every time I had an opportunity to talk to a coach, you know, we were talking. Um, uh, Aaron Tucker, a fraternity brother of mine who uh ran at florida we would see each other at meets and he's like john go talk to this person go talk you know we were just that's tuck <laughs> doing our thing and so um but none of that panned out and eventually uh coach haynes said hey man I, uh, at my old stumping grounds there's a position available and a coach called me asking me if i had anyone he wants someone to take over and and, and get him a sprints program and I ended up at Belmont University. Oh, is that right? I didn't know you're at Belmont. I yeah. love that campus. I love the way, yeah. that, like, almost like circular, like, you know, there's the courtyard in the middle and all the, the classrooms. I love that campus. It, yeah. It, it has changed dramatically. I wow. mean, it has changed. So it's still, I bet it, the, what hasn't changed is all the hills. Now the hills are there. Yeah, yeah. that's one thing I do remember. I remember where I parked in the wrong spot. I had a meeting down the hill, which means I had to get back up the hill after. I remember that. Yeah. So uh, Seth hired me and and said, "Man, I, I uh, our AD at the time he he was I think he was the AD at um, Murray State when they had a pretty good program, mm -hmm. and he was tired of seeing distance runners going to." Um, uh, Drake relays and all that stuff. He's like, coach, you can't like at conference. I don't want to see my distance runners running a four by one. So <laughs> I need a better, I need a program. So that's the story Seth told me and had an opportunity to uh, do my thing. I was going to go there and get all jumpers, but ended up saying, let me make this program out of, you know, thinking about coach Haynes and, and how to win championships and, and we got there and, and got two of the best athletes in the state of uh, Tennessee. Um, went down to New Orleans, picked up a few girls from down there and put a team together. What was it like going from, you know, I take nothing away from a GA. You are doing a lot of work. Plus, you are still taking classes for sure. Not, not even on the side. Like you got to pass classes and, and do well there. Um, but GA coaching, even at, I'm, I'm going to say, I want to be careful here, even at the smallest school. And what I mean by that is a school where they really rely on their GAs. Like it's not just the proverbial, you know, holding a stopwatch or a clipboard or whatever. Like you are, you are definitely coaching. It's still different than full-time coaching. How was that transition? You go to Belmont now there, you know, no more classes. It all runs through you. There's additional uh, responsibilities that get put onto you. How was that transition of like, you, you went from high school coaching, which, I mean, that's, I'm not taking away from that. There's a lot of responsibilities and things you got to do there to GA into your first full-time assistance job. Well, college. Coach Hanks prepared me because he just gave me all the duties. 
Um, and I took it and ran with it. You know, being that I was a little older in grad school, oh, right. it was a little different for me. You know, I took it serious. I didn't play around. So classes, my work was all, always done. And so I didn't have that issue. Um, so it wasn't a big deal. Um, but he gave me the keys and I ran with it. And I was ready for my next uh, opportunity because I was prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I think it was 98 when I was in New Orleans, but I think I was kind of doing, like I said, going to my high school while I was working. And Boo Shuck Snyder, he was at ULL when I was coming out of high school, had some really good triple jumpers there, but I told him I was a football player, not a track athlete. And full circle, Boo and Mike Korn was doing a level one. I think it was 99, 98, somewhere around there. And I think it was three people in the classroom and I had to sit through level one with two other people with Boo and Mike Korn. And it was a lot of information. I thought I knew track and field. Um, I was able to practice it a little bit in high school, got to CMO, and I was a little bit more refined at, you know, what I what I learned. But I would reach out to those guys. Hey, mm-hmm. dealing with this, I have this situation. So I started early on reaching out, you know, people who had more experience coaching than I had. And that's my foundation where I got organized to kind of understand, okay, here's what my jumpers are going to do. Here's what my hurdlers are going to do. So at CMO, I was able to experiment. In high school, I tell them, I screwed up a lot of athletes in high school. (laughs) I was just experimenting, didn't know what I was really doing. Um, Just as an athlete, I never was really told what to do. Um. Just my athletic ability, I went out there and jumped. I would watch other athletes because Coach Haynes didn't have time to coach me. So, so we coached ourselves a little bit. And and um, but again, just getting that coaching education at an early stage in my coaching career. Um, because before that I was just doing stuff. Yeah. Let's go do this. I remember my high school coach telling us to do this. Do that, do that. I had long jumpers doing 600s and all kind of stuff. So um, I screwed a lot of kids up. (laughs) You know, John, again, I sit in a very enviable seat and I get to hear 200 plus coaches journeys. And I'm telling you what, all the best ones, all, and if you're on this podcast, you want the best one. So all the best ones, there's a big difference between the best ones and the ones that are just getting along, the humble ones and the ones who have a bad ego and almost to a T, the good ones with a lot of humility say, oh man, I I can't believe I used to do this my first year, my second year. Um, you know, I, I, if I ever see those athletes, I tell them like, I'm so sorry. Like, oh man, I didn't know what I was doing. So I, I love that you share like, oh man, what was that? 600s for long, what was I thinking? But to that point, I believe, and this is why I think personally that um, as much as amazing things are happening today in track and field on, on all levels, by the way, high school, unbelievable, collegially, yes. crazy, uh, elites, unbelievable. I think we're kind of in a, a, a first dawning of what is really about to happen here in the next 
10 to 20 years, because to your point, you, you nailed it. When we first start coaching, generally we fall back to how we were coached. That's all we know. It's like, oh, coach. And we didn't pay attention to why maybe coach was or was not doing things. So we just, I don't know. I remember a coach saying uh, to run a 600. All right. Hey guys, guess what we're doing today? We're running 600. I don't know why, by the way, I have no idea how it actually plays into what we're going to do tomorrow. And I don't know what we're going to do tomorrow until I get there, but uh, we'll figure it out. Uh, we, we fall back, right? Until we get to some coaching education, uh, whether it's formally like a level one or informally uh, peer to peer. And then we yes. start like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, why, why were we doing six? Okay. That's scratch that. We're not doing that anymore. Oh, and here's what they are trying to do. And here's why they did this the next day. Okay. Well, I'm going to do this the next day. And you start linking your actual style together there. So uh, I just applaud you for having that humility of like, oh yeah, I, I screwed up my first cut. Like I screwed oh, up yeah. so many athletes. Oh my gosh. I can't believe that. And to have the humility to go to a, a level one and, you know, you might've gone to maybe the best one, anyone that has Boo Shexnader there. You, you walk out knowing how to coach almost every event uh, at that point because yeah. that, that guy's a genius. It was almost like one-on-one because there were only three or four people in the class. Yeah, I can't imagine how um, nerve-wracking that might be, especially if you don't know, like no, like personally know Boo because you're sitting there and you're like, okay, this guy's really smart. Oh, by the way, there's no place to hide. There's only two other people here. So I'm yeah. going to have to answer questions and be interactive here. That would be nerve-wracking for me. You know, it was awesome because, you know, it, it was just a lot of one-on-one. Every question that I had, he answered. Um, a lot of demonstrations, uh, a lot of video. We just, I don't think it's set up because I did a level one at uh, VCU a couple years ago. Um, and it was more personal. Like my level one, I brought some guests in and they talked slides and everything. But my level one was really interesting because I think that's I don't know when level one started but uh somewhere around 98 it just wasn't as popular because I didn't know anything about it so that that was a really good opportunity for me to learn from someone that I knew because I remember his triple jumpers doing kicking my butt at Drake relays (laughs) when he was at ULL so um definitely someone that I paid attention to and that wasn't intimidated just was tired because it was long and sure. didn't want to fall asleep in there yeah you can't even like nod off right yeah, it's like, yeah. I saw you John <laughs> you know we we learned when we had Boo Shexnader on the podcast and if you're listening you haven't listened to it it's by far the number one podcast uh, in listens, downloads, and we've ever had. You got to go listen to it. But we learned on that episode that he was actually more of a football guy. He was a defensive coordinator. Did you get a chance to chop it up on football talk with him? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. He was a defensive. <laughs> yeah, he was a football guy. And then to, went to high school and did his thing, strength and conditioning and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. When, when he, I did not, you know, I've known Boo for a long time. He's a mentor of mine. Uh, and I didn't know about the football stuff, but when he was talking about it, he was like, yeah, I was a defensive coordinator. I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. You know, from what I can think of a defensive coordinator has to know where everybody's going to go and, you know, all the routes and what, how are you going to attack it? I was like, oh, that seems like exactly who you are, Boo. Like I, I can see you like formalizing the, the, the plan of attack. So it just made so much sense when he told us that. <laughs> I have to take him up on going frogging one time, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Louisiana guy, but exactly. I don't know about There's someone in Maine right now going, what is he talking about? It's like, it's a, it's a Southern thing. And it's a very much so a Louisiana thing. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Okay. So uh, two years of grad school at SEMO, and now you are the assistant coach at Belmont. Now I I've been at Gill for 17 years and I can't remember when it was, but it was during my time here, early in my time here. Uh, we helped build Belmont's track and field facility. Were you, you were there before the facility? I was there before that. Um, I was part of the panel to go out to these high schools, the community, and tell them about why we need a track because uh, we had no track at uh, Belmont. Mm -hmm. We'd go sneak into Vanderbilt and, and Tennessee State. And I remember Coach Cheeseboro saw us out there in the cold one day and said, come on up here, baby, and, and come inside and practice on this indoor track. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, but um, soon as soon as I left, they, and they built that track for okay. Belmont and probably a really good thing they did. Yeah. Yeah. They did a great job. The locations, you, you know, you're very landlocked where you are at Belmont. So it's off a little bit off campus, but not terrible, but it's a beautiful, beautiful facility. You know, there's lots of coaches listening on all levels, high school and college who unfortunately don't have a facility, which is ludicrous to me. We would never have a basketball. I, I've yet to hear of a basketball coach that has a basketball team that doesn't have a basketball facility. Crazy. Uh, but for some reason we allow this in track and field, we've got to stop that. Yeah. But can you walk us through what were some of the things that you had to do differently than, you know, you have a facility now here at VCU, so you can, you know, kind of the things you had to do differently, uh, kind of get, you know, just bring some value to our listeners that don't have a facility. What were some of the uh, cheat codes, if you will, besides just breaking into someone's facility and using their track? <laughs> well, uh, Tennessee has a lot of land, a lot of hills, a lot of different things. Um, I would pack kids up in my Chevy Trailblazer. Whoever couldn't fit in the front seat, back seat, they some kind of way they got into the back. They they have stories about it that they tell me, and I don't remember them quite well. But we would load up and uh, get. I, I met when I was at the uh, NCAA championships. One of my former athletes at 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 Belmont, Stephen Register. I think he took over at uh, University of Texas at Commer. I I don't want to say the mm -hmm. wrong name. But he's, we met, went and got some briskets and, and nice. telling me about his experience and him not having a track. And he was trying to pick my brain. He was like, Coach, how did you figure all that stuff out? I'm like, well, I, mean, I, I wasn't going to be stopped. Whatever I needed to do, whatever grass or concrete that I found, I was going to figure out what to do with it. And that's what we did. You know, we traveled around the city and um probably ran on some grass we should not have run <laughs> uh have access to and we just we got it done um out of that group ended up having uh a young two young ladies to qualify for the uh they don't call it under 20 they they didn't call it under 20 but us juniors and mm -hmm. and how did we do it i have no clue we just figured it out and and found ways to do it but i had a plan since i knew i didn't have a track we just we did a lot of 200s a lot of 150s on grass we did a lot of 400 meter hard ways and things to figure it out but i wasn't going to let not having a track stop me from being successful my experience tells me that that type of um attitude of, you know, nothing's going to stop me. I'll figure it out. 
Um, I may have to figure it out while we're doing it, but I'm going to figure it out. It's typically, it, it's it's one part innate. Like there's some people who have that and there's some people who don't. God makes us all differently. That's okay. Uh, but for those who have it innate, it's it's typically not just something that naturally comes out. It has to be um, observed. If you, can you think, is there a, a family member, a teacher that you observe that and you're like, okay, you know, so-and-so, like I remember so-and-so didn't let me fail at reading or, you know, thinking of a teaching type of aspect. So I, I'm going to figure it out. I'm not, I'm not going to fail these kids uh, on my team here at Belmont. Yeah, well, we didn't have a track at St. Augustine. If you know anything about New Orleans, the high schools don't do not have tracks. So we have to travel and, and we all practice at the same facility at Tag Armley Stadium, yeah. the 1992 yeah. uh, was it NCAA championships were held there in the uh Olympic trials in 96. Wow. So they yeah. built us a practice track and in the main stadium, uh the regular track. So most most of the high schools practice at tag gumley practice track so mm-hmm. we had to figure it out so if we couldn't get to the track we did stuff on the yard and found some grass there so it was just something we that i knew i had to do you know i knew going in they didn't have a track and that didn't bother me i just wanted an opportunity uh to coach i love it so it was kind of uh it was in you. You had to, is how you had to, you, how you became a successful high school football and track athletes. Like, all right, well, I've, I've done this playbook. Now I just get to do it as the coach. Yeah. We, we didn't have our own stadium. We didn't have our own football training facility. <laughs> we had a weight room and that was good, but that's how we, that's how I learned. That's how we had to do it. So going in, I knew at, at SEMO, I had a weight room right next to the track. Not very many uh, power five schools, have a weight room like right. right next to the track. So I was a little spoiled, but at the same time, I had to go get my hands dirty and figure it out. So again, I knew that one thing, if I recruited some of the best athletes in the state, um, I'd have an opportunity. How I convinced them to come to Belmont with no track, I have no clue, but oh, I did. What I did. <laughs> well, crap, because that was going to be my next question. <laughs> persistence, um, just being, you know, communicating and just not over-promising, just letting them know, here's what I can do. Here's what I can help you do. Um, and you know, that's how it worked. Uh, one of the, one of the young ladies, uh, Seth already knew her high school coach. Um, and I kind of had an end in, but it wasn't sure because she was pretty good. Um, and I ended up getting that one young lady, which set it off. And I started getting others mm-hmm. to kind of join in. And we went from last in the a sun to second. We just couldn't beat, um, Jacksonville, uh, Griggs had it. Oh yeah. <laughs> many, many of people have said that exact same thing. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Hey, we got second. That was good. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> yeah. uh, but we gave him a run for his money yeah. uh, on the on the sprint side and and definitely on the distance. We just didn't have uh, a full team with throwers, and 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 that's where I found you know we have to have speed, power. You have to have throws if your if your goal is to win a conference championship. Um, you know we we can't you know even William and Mary throws distance where they used to take over the CAA. Um, but you have to have some type of speed power. 
So I knew we had to get something there, speed, power, um, and make sure we were, you know, accomplishing what the AD wanted. Hmm. He wanted to send a team to Drake relays that can compete. Hmm. So Seth said, hey, man, go get you some jumpers, whatever you want to do to coach. Just I said, you know, I'm going to go. The AD told me. He want to compete at Drake Relays because that's what he he's used to doing. So that's what I'm going to do. And that's what we did. That's awesome. So a uh, good amount of success. You, you definitely improved the team there at Belmont. How many years and what was next? I was at Belmont from 2005 to 2008. And I can remember, I think we we're in Arkansas at the uh, NCAA championships. Um uh, was that the region meet? No, I can't, I can't remember. I can't remember. But um, again, I had my resume with me at all times. Um, we were either at the region, East region, or no, I think that was the NCAA championships. Coach Cheeseboro um, introduced me to, what's her, uh, I can't remember, at Ohio State. Uh, Aaron Dennis? Yeah, Dennis. Yeah, yeah. And she said, where's your resume? And I pulled it out my backpack and I gave it to her. Um, and we were just talking. And then I, someone told me that, hey, uh, there's a job available at Virginia Commonwealth University. Had never heard of VCU. <laughs> um, knew nothing about the school, did some research and I applied. Um, Got a call back. I don't know if uh, uh, Coach Dennis was going to reach out to me or anything. I don't know, but I was prepared um, because I had my resume. I was looking. I was, you know, I was always ready. Um, and I got the interview and ended up getting a job at VCU. Was this for the head job? That's the head job. Oh, okay. Hold on now. So my favorite question to ask any coach when they get their first head job was, were you prepared? But my man, you've had how many years were you at, at uh, Belmont? Three, 2005, 2008. So your experience is three years at Belmont, a GA position at SEMO and high school coaching at St. Ogg's, and you get the head job at VCU. Yes. What was that like? And what I mean by that is certainly, uh, especially because of how Coach Haynes um, I almost said treated you, but, you know, uh, allowed you to do a lot of things. So you were prepared to do a lot of things, but, and you, you now know this after, you know, a decade plus at, as the head job there at VCU, there are way more things that you have to do as the head coach. What was that like stepping in as you continued to like, I almost had, to, I feel like it was like almost like every day you had to learn like, Oh, Oh wait, I got to do this too. Oh, oh, okay. And the next day, Oh wait, I got to do this too. Uh, and I know you're, you certainly have the pluck of like, well, I'll figure it out and I'll, I'll get her done. But that's a big job at this stage of your career. I feel that everywhere I went, they prepared me for the job. But you hadn't you know, been to many places, John. <laughs> I, I'm with you. but <laughs> Yeah, you know, the, the experience and the people I work with um, at, at Belmont, you know, Seth was more of a cross-country guy. So when track and field got here, he thought, man, you know what? They shouldn't have an indoor season. These kids run too much. And, you know, <laughs> that's my guy though. Um, but again, I took those kids on the road. I had to 
do per diem. I had to get hotels. I had to do all that stuff. And, and I took on that responsibility. And when I got the head job at VCU, I made phone calls. I called. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's another one of my favorite questions. Yeah. Who did you call? Who did you lean on? Like, all right, I applied for this thing and I got it. Help me. I think Eric Jenkins and I were at, at the same time getting a head coaching position. Right, that's a good one to call. Absolutely. Um, we, that's my guy. We, we love games back and forth. Um, I, I just called individuals that I can count on. I called my former uh, boss at the news station because he was a general manager. And, you know, I called my high school coach. I reached out to coach Haynes and he was like, just do it. <laughs> Um, so I, I just I can't remember everyone I called, but um, I knew I wasn't going to fail because I had too many people that I could reach out to. Yeah. I wasn't afraid to ask questions. I didn't know it all. So um, I just reached out to a bunch of different people and the staff at VCU was very helpful because they went through three or four different coaches at the time. Mm. Um, one coach quit right in the middle of the season. It was. They had an idea of who they wanted. They were going to hire a female coach because um, they already had a men's coach at the time. And for the women, they had several coaches to quit or something happened to allow them to go somewhere else. And I went into that interview and I was prepared. You know, I had my packet, gave it to everyone and um, all the successes I had a lot of business stuff in there about, um, you know, fundraising ideas. And I had just a whole portfolio. And I ended up giving that to Althea and a couple other people who were at the time looking. But I shared and I, uh, uh, Tamara, who's at LSU, she helped me out a lot. And and just a bunch of different people I, I reached out to. And I just compiled all this information and I was ready. I was, I was ready. Now each school has different, different operating systems and how you do things. And luckily for me at, at VCU, when we first started, everything was on paper. <laughs> I had a lot of work to do, but I, I could get through it. Hey, compliance, I need help with this. And, and, you know, I wasn't afraid to ask questions. That was that's the biggest thing. I wasn't afraid to ask questions and I wasn't afraid to fail. You know, I was like, I'm a new guy. I'm, I'm new. They know I'm a new head coach. Um, they're putting their trust in me. So somebody has to help me. <laughs> so I figured it out. To help our listeners, I always like to point out when our guest um, name someone that's been a podcast guest before because they also have amazing stories. So John here recently said Althea Thomas. Uh, that's one of our top 10 ever podcast episodes. You got to go listen to her story. It's amazing. She's amazing. Karen Dennis left me speechless in the middle of our interview uh, when she was at Ohio State, now retired. I'm so happy for her. Uh, and then Eric Jenkins, uh, head coach at South Florida now, has also been on the show here recently within the last probably six months or so. Uh, and again, what an amazing journey. So three people uh, that he's mentioned here that you got to go back besides, you know, we also mentioned Bushek Snyder and some other guys and gals. You got to go back and listen to the backlog here of the Gill Connections podcast. John, I'm curious, what was, I, I love that you have a posture of 
uh, of a network, of a, of a circle of people that you can call and ask questions. I, I love that posture. We don't celebrate that enough. We, we, we tend to uh, over romanticize the person who does it on their own, puts the weight of the world on their shoulders and just plows ahead. And, and there's parts of your life that you need to do that in. But mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's more, it says more about a person that they can call someone that they can humble themselves and say, I don't know what to do here. Can you help me? So I love that. I want to give you props for that out of the people that you called. And, and I love, and we got to explore this a little more that you called your former manager, uh, station manager as well. That's unique. I love that. Maybe it's because you're like, well, that's all I knew. You know, that's who I had a phone call with. Uh, so I love these lifelines. What was, you know, someone is listening right now and they're going to be a head coach tomorrow. <laughs> you know, what was the best piece of advice that you got when you were collecting as much help as possible during this first year of your rookie head coaching uh, year? You know, just be yourself, mm. but be confident at being yourself. You know, you, you have to be who you are. Don't try to be like, Coach Haynes, don't try and be like Coach Payne or any of the coaches that influenced me. Just be yourself. So that was the main thing. I was, you know, I, I'm an, I'm a proactive person in nature. So I'm gonna take those steps, ask questions, um, and I don't think asking questions are bad things. Sometimes you think you're over, overwhelming someone. So there are people out there who love to help. You know. Uh, feel good when you ask them questions or ask them to help you out. So I just took it step forward. And the best advice was just be confident at being who you are. Mm. Don't try and be anyone other than who you are because they'll figure it out. You know, these the student athletes that you recruit, the administration who hired you, just be yourself and, and but be confident. Uh, you know, who you are. I, I think that's wildly important. And I, and I take it down to the recruiting side of it, because sometimes as coaches, we think we have to uh, morph ourselves into who the athlete wants us to be for recruiting. Cause you know, we're recruiting them for, we, we need recruits, right? We need the athletes that we believe will help our program. So we want to, sometimes we want to be whatever they need during the recruiting process. So they'll say yes and sign and get there. And then we'll all figure it out through their four years. Right. But to your point there is when you get on campus and now you are who you are, cause you're there on a daily basis, you as the coach, well, those kids are, you know, if you, if you were someone else to them, it's like, wait a minute, this ain't the John I met in my house. This ain't the John on my visit. Uh, this ain't cool. This ain't the guy that I, this ain't the guy I signed up for. <laughs> and that's how we get more people uh, transferring. It's how we get more people who uh, don't buy into the program. Maybe they stay for four years. I, I don't I don't know what's worse, a kid who transfers out of your program or a kid who stays, but never buys in. I'm not convinced the kid who stays is the worst situation for both, by the way, the, the athlete and, and the coach here. So, you know, we talk a lot about the transfer portal and how easy it is to, to transfer and, you know, p- kids quit on the first bad adversity. I don't believe any of that, to be honest with you. I don't think any of that has changed. I think social media and communication has allowed us to see more of it. But I do think that uh, more kids are being able to move to places where they can be co- more comfortable, whether it's athletically, academically, socially, et cetera. Uh, but if, if, as, if, as, if, as us as coaches can be, to your point, be ourselves, be comfortable in who we are, be confident in who we are, we're going to attract the right kids to our program. And I think we'll have less transfers 
that way. Now that don't hear me say that. I think, you know, I know right now someone's listening is like, well, Oh my God, coach so-and-so just had 20 transfers. That must, he must be thinking he's a bad person. No, no, I'm not saying that. Cause they're, I think kids transfer for a lot of right reasons. Again, academics, socially, their own ego. That's okay. We're talking about 20 year old kids here for crying out loud. Uh, so I, I don't blame a coach at all uh, until a coach does something that needs to be blamed, like, you know, it's abusive right. or, or whatnot. Uh, and those people need to find different careers. Any counseling is what they need coaches who do that. But um, so I love that piece of advice that you got that it was like, Hey man, be who you are, be confident in who you are as well. I, I'm curious to go back. So one, I want to ask about what did the manager, the station manager, because you know th that person's not a, a coach. They're not a college coach. They're not, a, maybe they weren't even a track person. I, I, I bet, because I think it, it's hard for us to get out of our own box, but here's a way you're getting out of your own, but it's one thing to ask another track coach, hey, what did you do when you're first head coach? And, and there's a lot of value in that. But I'm curious with the station manager, I feel like there'd probably be some real nuggets that we don't tend to think uh, about. It was more or less about contracts. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. You've seen a lot of contracts in your life. And, you know, at that time, VCU wasn't set up to, I'm not going to say set up, but um, I had a one year contract as a head coach. And I had never heard of that because all the advice is, you know, make sure your contract is this, that, and the other. And I see that my, my contract expired in one year. So I had a lot of questions about, should I even take it? You know, mm -hmm. as an experiment, I, I saw that there were several coaches who uh, stayed here for a year or two and left. Um, so I'm making phone calls to figure out, hey, what should I do? This is a one-year contract. Uh, is Are there other head coaches here that only have a one-year contract? So I went in. He, he gave The advice he gave me was, you know, um, you know, he said, I don't know athletic contracts and what the expectations are, but if it's something you want to do, you've taken a chance on a lot of different things. Um, just look at your clauses and all. I had no clue. I right. couldn't afford an agent and all that stuff, but, you know, I just wanted someone to put their eyes on it that was familiar with contracts. Um so he, it wasn't much he can give me because the contract was just basic. If you don't do X, Y, Z, if you violate this, you won't be renewed. But fortunately, I was able to get renewed several years until I got a longer contract because mm -hmm. he just didn't do that. Yeah, I think, you know, again, another interesting aspect, you know, we try to bring a lot of different topics throughout each guest. So, you know, if if, if you're a listener and you only listen to one episode, First of all, thank you. I appreciate you listening at all. But I, I think the real magic with the coaches we have here is that we talk about different topics uh, throughout a span. You know, if you listen to 10 coaches, you'll you'll hear different topics and learn different things. I, I think that topic of contracts, we've never had it that I can think of uh, here on the podcast. I, I was always a one-year guy. You know, I was an assistant for most of my career. So I was only, that's all I knew. Uh, and then you hear about, you know, coaches where, you know, um, uh, they'll get extensions like um, uh, Dwayne Ross just got a one-year extension at Tennessee, which means, okay, he's on a multi-year contract, things like that. But we don't talk about that in, in the business. We, we talk about when, when we go to convention, we're more likely, if I walk by a, a group of coaches, I wonder what a group of coaches is called. You know, how like a, a group of geese is called like a gaggle. I want to, I got to come up with a name of what a group of 
Just, uh, we yeah. have to work on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to do that on the fly because I'll just get in trouble. Exactly. Right. Yeah. But there's a name there, though. I just know. I just know. It. When, when when I walk through convention and I see the groups of coaches, it, it is going to be 99 times out of 100. They're talking about uh, several different things, uh, how to coach a certain type of, you know, long jumper, distance runner, et cetera. How was family? You know, it's December. So we're all talking about holidays, things like that. I don't know how many conversations. I think it's extremely rare of like, hey, can we talk about contracts? How did you get a multi-year deer? How did you get an extension? What should I, how should I talk to my athletic director? You know, you, you, you were on one year rotations for a little while. There had to be some, whether it was the the same AD or a new AD comes in of like, how do I even approach this? Because it obviously has never been done here. I've never done it. So how do I approach that? Oh, you know, sure the baseball coach gets a multi-year and the football coach but track that doesn't happen it's like oh no no actually like we're at, we're we're uh we're, we're the minority here we're giving us given the head coach of one year how do i have that conversation i think that's an extremely important topic i i would challenge ustf ccca at the convention to have someone talk about that to, to coach you know have that as a as a topic because that's a topic that we don't talk about but boy we're talking about your career we're talking about yeah. your financial stability it's important. So uh, something once a year, other than the COVID year, me, well, myself, Eric Jenkins, uh, Kareem, that's at uh, Wisconsin, and yeah, great. Jason Jackson, he was at uh, Virginia State was his last stop. He's coaching high school now, but he was at Seton Hall um, and Abijia Dean, who's currently at South Florida now. We take a trip once, a, like once a year, you know, we get a, a resort room. And I remember uh, Dana Boone commenting on one of our trips about the guys going out. And I'm like, you ladies need to get together and go out. But we, we, we go out. Um, I mean, one year we rented a little boat, got some good fishing in on the Potomac in DC. And we talked about contracts and yeah. we talked about different things. Eric and I shared a couple different things. And, you know, I was, eventually I was able to get my assistant coaches on our level, some, a bonus package, um, you know, so that bonus package has probably been shared with a ton of head coaches to get help, get their assistant coaches bonus packages. And, mm -hmm. but that's, you know, in my circle, small circle, that's what we do. Love it. Uh, I remember sitting Lonnie green down and, and, mm -hmm. and, I think we're in Jacksonville going over training and, you know, cause like I said, I'll ask questions and, you know, there was an opportunity for me coming up on a contract year and he mentioned something about uh, retention bonuses and I You're brought like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I brought that up in contract talk and at yeah. the time, you know, they didn't do it, especially for track and field. And eventually I, you know, was able to, get a retention bonus, Absolutely. but those things, if you don't ask, if you're not talking about it, um, you're not going to go get anywhere because I think track and field, we don't talk about salaries. You hear football coaches, basketball coaches talking about salary, but in track and field, you don't talk about salary for, for whatever reason. And we do, you know, my small group, my circle, we can expand it, but you have to be willing to, you know, talk now. The entire trip is not about track and field. Um, so we do it to get away from track, but we do talk a little bit and right. definitely contracts and um, that stuff comes up in our talks.
first of all, I need to get a bell. So when someone names a, a, a coach that's been on the podcast, I can just do a bell and then you know, listeners will know, oh, okay, that person. Name another? Yeah, oh, two, baby, two. Come on. We, we've done 200. You're, you're episode 220. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I'm late in the deal. I mean, you got a lot of, uh, it's it's hard to throw a stone and not hit someone who's been on the podcast. Dana Boone. Come on, man. Of course, I've had her on here. And uh, see, this is why I need the bell because you said it. And I was like, oh, I got to make sure I say it. Oh, God. Oh, Lonnie Green. Lonnie Green's been on the show as well. Yeah. Uh, the goal is to get to where you can't name a coach at all who has not been on the podcast, but I only get I only get 52 a year. So, I, you know, it's going to take me a little while, but I'm going I'm to do it. It's like Pokemon, man. I'm catching them all. Um, John, bingo. We don't talk about that's why I talk about what I'm saying, contracts, salaries, compensation, et cetera, enough in track and field. And I think my theory is on that is, you know, there's a scarcity mindset and a growth mindset. And I believe uh, the most successful coaches and people in business, et cetera, have a growth mindset in track and field because we are pushed to a scarcity mindset. You know, we only have 12.6 scholarships on a men's track and field team. Come on. Uh, and we give what 88 on football and and I'm not here, here's the thing if I'm going to go out and try to build the biggest skyscraper I want to do it because I build the biggest skyscraper not because I tear down everybody else's and therefore mine's the biggest so for football with 88 scholarships I'm not saying they should have less keep 88 I'm cool with that but I think we should have more than 12.6 and 18 on the men and women's side let's grow that so we have this scarcity mindset of, um, you know, twelve point six. And by the way, that's if you're fully funded. I that's, yes, I was gonna say, trust me. I, 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 yeah, no, I know you. I know you're like, yeah, okay, Mike. What's reality? That's right. Not everybody. Uh, if you're an athlete listening, spoiler alert: just because NCAA Division One gives out or allows twelve point six scholarships, does not mean every institution allows themselves budget wise to give out 12.6 and it is not uncommon I, i'm not sure until i got to mississippi state that i had 12.6 at any institution that i worked at now that i think about it uh so it's not uh, uh when i was at ball state on the women's side i i think we were at 16 i don't think we were fully funded there either so so we have this scarcity mindset so i think as coaches even the ones who work the hardest to be a growth mindset have a scarcity mindset. They don't want to tell someone else for two reasons, embarrassed on how much they make low side. And it is embarrassing how much we're paying some coat. We need to pay more. I will beat that drum till I die. Uh, or the other side of like, Ooh, well, if I tell them, you know, if I tell them I make X amount of dollars, they may think like, that's too much for me. You know uh, there's an embarrassment on, on that side, or is it, you know, am I bragging? If I talk about that, we have got to be more transparent with each other. And I understand it's not just in track and field sensitivities with your salary. That's everywhere. Every business you had it when you were at the new state, sta everybody has that. That's there's, that's a cultural thing that we have, at least here in America, but when it comes to contracts, retention bonuses, bonuses for qualifying kids to uh, nationals or conference championships, we need to have those talks so that we can grow in our compensation for our coaches. If a coach is, is at, you know, such and such state, East state university, and doesn't know that coaches are the, the, the multi-contract even exists. Like they're just always been on a one-year contract. 
man, we could help that person out by teaching them what the, the, I hate to say the real world, but what the other world does, and they can maybe go to their ADs and get that for them. And now that person is better set financially for their family, their friends, their lives, their passions, their charities. That, that's where we got to have uh, more communication. So I love that you have it in your your group. And it, it boy, it better start there because it ain't going to happen in the big group if you're not having uh, you know real close networks like that. So I love hearing that you guys do that. And I, I can't imagine how much value you've gotten from each other through the years on that trip i don't mind sharing things that we have because it it wasn't easy to get them and i know that um i just had some administrators that poured into us you know Mm -hmm. we had ad change and you know he came in and redid some things um kind of felt sorry for us a little bit because at the time we only had six scholarships on the women's side and that was those were an equivalency of six scholarships because we had a dollar amount and I had to stay within the dollar amount. Yep. And we added everything up and it was like we only have six. So um but we didn't complain about it. We went, you know, we just we did what we had to do. And eventually I got both programs um and the men had six women had six and title nine purposes. They took three from the men and these are equivalencies. I'm talking dollar amounts. Right. And so I think by year three or four, uh, I think I had nine scholar equivalency of nine in-state scholarships on the women's side. And that's when we won our first championship. It's so. a shocker. You're allowed to get more, attract more uh, kids to your program. And then you win. Yeah. That's a- ADs that are listening. That That's the formula right there. Support your track coaches and their programs. You'll win more. I guarantee it. I, I would love to see a stat of all the conference championships and their uh, uh, number of scholarships that they're allowed. And I guarantee you would see a trend uh, that the ones at the bottom are the ones that have one, two, three, four scholarships, not the fully funded or closer to the fully funded ones. They're the ones winning. Yeah, we, I mean, I, I have a, my throws coach, Ethan Tusing. He's uh, oh, Ethan, yeah. he's, he's my numbers guy. And <laughs> just, went back in there and let's, let's say, let's look at all the schools in the conference, how many scholarships they have. And uh-huh. we thought we could use that for motivation or a reason to go to administration and say why we need more. It didn't work, but <laughs> we kind of knew where we were. But, but uh, it would not have happened at all. You had no shot if you didn't bring the evidence in front. And while it may not have worked initially, that, that sometimes, you know, what's that, uh, um, that cartoon of the the two guys who are mining for diamonds and the one turns around right before he's there. You know, if you're not mining towards the diamond, you ain't never going to get the diamond. So you're, you're putting in the work. I love that. I love Ethan's that he's your numbers guy, by the way. That's awesome. Yeah, he, he, that's my numbers guy. And we're fully funded now. Oh, um, awesome. Bravo VCU. That Great took job. us 12 to 13 years, yep. but we yep. finally uh, got to that place. Now we can recruit international out of state luckily uh virginia is a good track state because great track state yeah and uh i'd be in trouble yeah (laughs) yeah yeah you're in a heck of a state that's for sure yeah Yeah. well i I love it john i think these are conversations that have to happen more i think they have to happen uh, i challenge myself here and they need to happen more here on the podcast they need to happen more in convention they need to happen more in these i'm gonna call them bubbles these groups that you have i love that um they're, they're highly important and here's the crazy part when it comes to salaries 
99% of us are working at public institutions. It ain't that hard to go. Your salary is public information. It ain't that hard to go find it. So I'm not sure why we're holding back and not telling people. If you're uh, ashamed of how little you make, uh, first of all, you're in a big boat together with a lot of other people that aren't making enough money either. So let's have but, these important conversations so we can move forward. Because we don't have, to boost Xnator's point, we don't have a union for our coaches. So we don't have anybody else fighting for us. So we have to fight for ourselves and for each other. I can let any young track coach know my first salary at Belmont University was about twenty thousand dollars. I was gonna say twenty to twenty-five. Yep. Mm -hmm. Next yep. year twenty-five, and I eventually got up to thirty. But that's that's just the hard knocks of it. Doesn't have to be that way, right? So you know we're we're pushing for more on our end. And if any head coach who doesn't have a bonus package for their assistant coaches you can reach out to me i can share with you what we have and what we have is not perfect we're still striving for it but you know we've worked to get what we have and you know ethan has been with me for 15 years um so and, and my other coach sage he's been with me for maybe 10 years now um but again i'm willing to share anything any information that i've you know, I've, I've, I share all of our information. I don't know if we were the first or in line, but no one ever told me that their assistant coaches had a bonus package other than, you know, maybe some power five schools. Right. But uh, we need to share more information about stuff like that so that we can grow because there are a lot of coaches, especially female coaches that that's not in the game anymore. You know, they can go somewhere and make some money. And I'm sure they were passionate about coaching track. So, you know, I don't know how we do it, but we need to figure out a way to talk contracts and, and, and salaries and, you know, what, what type of approach do you take to your administration to show your, show your value and we need to help each other out. I, I love the longevity of Tom and Ethan, you, you know, that show, I think that proves what you're talking about. You know, if you, if you want to complain about coaches uh, jumping ship and changing jobs every year, blah, blah, blah. By the way, th that was a, a, a direct, um, what's the, what's the term here? A direct, uh, I don't want to say recommendation, but oh. Boo Shexnader said, Hey, especially early in your career, if you can go somewhere to, to make more money, you need to, cause we don't pay enough and you got to retire one. You should be able to want to retire one day. So do it. So if you want to complain about coaches jumping ship, pay them more, take care yeah. of them more. Well, let me lock on some wood here. Um, if there are some coaches, don't come after my coaches now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, well, I, I guarantee you, and I know, you know, Tom and Ethan have done an amazing job for you. So I know people have taken a run at them, but that, that's why I say what a what a great example. It says a lot about you as the leader there as well, John, that they've been there for a decade, decade plus. I mean, that that's, you know, we talk all the time of, you know, uh, coaches don't stay anywhere. Well, here's an example uh, that are they're obviously being taken care of, not only financially, but uh, emotionally and protect, you know, friends wise and uh, uh, socially uh, love the area. I mean, it, it ain't it ain't rocket science here. We just want to be happy in life and we want to be happy in the profession that we have. And that also takes money. Uh, that that's, takes yeah. money to pay for houses and food and uh, again, charities and passions, et cetera. So I love, you're obviously doing something right there uh, for yourself, for your program and for your assistant coaches. Those are great examples. Now, we're not where we want to be, but we're striving to get there. Yeah. And guys, I appreciate them. They've been working with me for all these years and, you know, it's just, 
they're, they're, they're good guys and they, they know what they're doing. They're passionate about their sport. So would, would you say it makes your job as the head coach of VCU, does it make your job easier that you've got these two guys that have been with you for 10 years? So they know what to expect from you. They know what, what you expect out of them. Does it make your job easier? It does. And now that we're fully funded, it makes their job a little bit harder. <laughs> the expectations have changed. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Be careful what you ask for. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, now we have to be a little bit more regionally, nationally competitive, yeah. you know, so. Um, but that's the expectation. You know, we we get to the point we've been asking for it. Hey, man, if we had this, if we had that now we have it, we just have to take advantage of it. And those guys are motivated to do that. Um and our administration does a good job of of working with us. You know, I wish they would just give me everything I wanted when I asked for it, but that's not how it works. So uh, we're definitely striving to get to where we want to be as a program. And, you know, I, I, I can sleep a little better knowing that I have those guys. Um, and I always encourage them, you know, to reach out to whomever you need. You know, coaching education is important and my coaches do a really good job of branching out, not thinking they know everything and, and just learning from other coaches. Um, and and that's what I like, you know, and this program has went from last place in the conference. And with those guys helping me, we've, we've nine A-10 championships. So they're doing a pretty good job. I can't. Man, winning but is hard. Do not come to my <laughs> program. You know, I'd love for them to get other opportunities, and 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 I've been expecting it. But <laughs> those guys make me look good. Make sure you hear him. Because <laughs> yeah, I fight. I don't play fair. Yeah, well, I could. I would bet an old football player. Let me tell you what. I I ain't scrapping fair. with you. <laughs> Well, John, man, as we wrap up today here, uh, I'd love for you to give give us a shout out. Give us a, what's got you excited. You know, you're obviously a planner, so you're thinking of what, you know, next track season 2024 looks like, maybe five years, 10 years down the road. What's got you excited going on there at VCU? Well, you know, we have we have some really good, like this is my really my first time. It's been two years. We got our first international athlete two years ago. And we've branched out a little bit and I'm excited to um, have those international athletes come in and, and show us their culture um, and give us a little, a, a different experience as to, you know, their experiences. Um, I know that may not sound like we're, we're, we're going to win. You know, that's the first thing we're going to win. But I, I just like the fact that we're branching out a little bit more and bringing more to our program so that we can become more regionally, nationally competitive. Now, with all these times that's been ran these past two years, it's it's getting crazy out there. So uh, my staff, we have to step up our game. Um, the expectations are up for us to be, again, more regionally, nationally competitive. Um, the A-10 is a competitive conference. And... We want to stay on the top of the A-10. Um, and I'm in just, I just love track and field. And I like how uh, how good all the athletes are getting. It's around the board. 
And I think coaching education has a lot to do with that because there's so many good coaches out there and they're bringing it (laughs) every level from NAIA division two, division three, they're bringing it. So you see all these student athletes getting it done and it's because of all the good coaching that's out there. Um, And I'm just looking forward to a really good year leading into the Olympics, you know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And uh, our new track should be, uh, we're we're getting a new track. Yeah, man, healthy things grow. Awesome. Yeah. So if you can send me another email so we can... (laughs) absolutely absolutely John. So we yeah. can talk um absolutely. But yeah we're, we're 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 getting a new track here in richmond um our entire stadium is getting renovated and and i'm looking forward to that now yeah. i might be without a track well i hope any none of those recruits are watching <laughs> yeah sure for, for a short period of time but i know exactly what to do with them yeah, yeah, I was about to say I would be heck, you might be more successful. Who knows? Absolutely. You got the plan, baby. Yeah. yeah. Well, John, what what year is this for you now? 15. Dude, I love you know, you have the attitude of someone in their first, second, third year. I mean that in a good way. Like, you know, there's always in your first couple of years, you're like just excited about everything. You know, it's like, man, I just, you know, can't in, in 15 years, you can get a little a little complacency can sit in, right? I mean, you're very comfortable. You know where you are. You have the kind of the bullish attitude of just like, all right, it's a new year. Let's go. Like we're going to have a, our international recruits are coming in. That's going to change uh, our positivity on our athletes. They're going. I love the ability for your athletes to get to talking about the uh, experiences of an international athlete to be able to learn other cultures and experiences. That just makes them better people going yes. out into society. So I love that that's new and, and continues to grow on your your team uh you know new facilities are obviously good you know healthy things grow so i just love your attitude of i i, I if i didn't know i knew you'd been there for a while so if i didn't know that you'd been there for 15 i'd be like oh yeah this is like john's new program he's ready to go i just love that attitude man that's got to be infectious with your athletes and coaching staff yeah we got i got new coach a former athlete that competed for me at belmont is an assistant coach for me now she i pulled her out of texas <laughs> coaching at allen high school and now oh, she's nice. Um, and my distance coach, he's been around a couple of different places. He has a story too. He's been volunteering all throughout, uh, his collegiate coaching career. And I gave him an opportunity to have his first full-time coaching position wow. and take advantage of it. And we're going to give him the resources to do it. Um, so I'm excited about a lot of different things. And, you know, I have my veteran coaches who've been with me for a long time and I got two that are uh, that have only been with me for one or two years. Um, so VCU is doing a really good job of supporting me. Um, I don't have to do any paperwork anymore. I have a <laughs> director of ops now. So, um, but we've expanded and and we're we're getting it done. So I love it. I'm I'm blessed and and I'm happy to be in track and field. Um, to, on your point, we just need to talk a little bit more about advancing these coaches' salaries and, and doing the little things that make the programs grow. That's right. To your to your point about you, you mentioned all the great things that from when you got there to when you're here now that VCU is growing and you kept saying, we're not where we want to be. we got to continue to grow. I, I think that's exactly right in the coaching profession. There's a lot of good things that are happening in 2023 uh, in the coaching profession. 
we still have a lot. There's the road is still there and there's still bumps in the road and potholes and speed bumps. We have to continue working and working together. Uh, and I see that what you're doing there at VCU with your administration and your coaching staffs working together and improving, man. It's just, it's so awesome to see it, it really is. Well, I appreciate it, man. And, and thanks for having me. Um, glad I found some time to uh, <laughs> get on here. Hey, so. I'm always, you know, this is not, I've said this a hundred times, this is not an easy podcast to listen to. And it's not an easy podcast to be a guest on because this ain't no 20 minute, 30 minute, get in and get out. We, yes. we, we need time. Like we've been going an hour and 46 right now. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, no coach, every coach during pre-interview, I'll give you a little behind the scenes here, listener, every coach during pre-interview goes, Hey, so I don't know that I have an hour's worth to talk about. And then an hour in, and we're still talking about St. Augustine high school, but because there's just so much to all these coaches, all these guests that we have so much complexity. And so I am always thankful, always blessed when you do give me the time, John, because I know you're busy track and field is different than any other sport coaching. There are no days off. You go, I mean, right now it's July. You're already recruiting for the next year and the year after. Uh, soon the kids are coming back for cross country season, which means off season training for our sprinters, jumpers, hurdlers, throwers, and then indoor season. Now it used to be novel. There'd be a December meet. Now everybody and their brother seems to open up in December. So December through uh, end of May into June goes your meets. If you have anybody qualify for USA's in her twenties, that's the middle of June. Boom. It's July again. And we're all over again. So <laughs> <laughs> always busy and I'm always blessed when you can carve out time for you, man. So I'm just so, so thankful uh, for you sitting down with us today here on the Gill Connections podcast. Really appreciate it. And uh, I love the music, the intro music that's on your podcast. Um, that's that's my guy next door who takes all my... I, I was about to say, you know who that is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> not going to even mention his name on this podcast. <laughs> His music does it all for him. <laughs> we had to get it. It's to me, I love authenticity. So when I knew, found a track person who did that, I was like, oh man, what can I do to get this, make this happen? And I'm so blessed from him as well, man. We won't we're, at same, we'll, we're, at, we're at the same hotel in Jacksonville and he talked about this, you know, we, we sat at breakfast and talked about this for a while. I said, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I, I know you have some skills, so I'm definitely going to listen to it. He does. He's got skills all day. We'll we'll keep him as the person who is not named, but you know who we're talking about here. <laughs> I'm to Virginia too much. See, I need so. another. I need another ding. So he'll be ding because he's also. A we're podcast not. We're not guest. gonna ding. We're not gonna ding him because he's always in state. He takes too many of the athletes from Virginia and take them over to that other school. Stay over there. in the east part of uh, Carolina. That's as far as we're yeah, gonna get. That's, all that's right. Gonna go. It's a wrap. It's a wrap. We're done today. John, thank you so much, man. I'm so blessed. Again, spend some time with us and share your really unique. I love sharing how uh, if you want to be a track coach or if you want to have a career in coaching track and field, how there is no playbook. There is only hard work and uh, gumption continue to work for it. So I love your unique story, John, man. Thank you for sharing that with us today. And thanks for having Mike. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for being here listening. Join us next week here on the Guild Track and Field Connections podcast. Who knows who we're going to have, but I bet you they're going to be awesome. See you guys next week. Have an awesome one.